Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the best Tottenham podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on the view from the lane alongside Danny and Jack and Charlie and James and Tim? Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged Spurs fans every month? Of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. Slow wriggling through and wriggling through and scoring! Ely Manning has been on the pitch for about four minutes and he smashed Sheffield United in front. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. As Danny Kelly is not here today because he's physically too angry to podcast, I am Jack Pitbrook standing in and holding the fort like Christian Stellini. I think we missed a big, a big opportunity and we, are, we have to apologise. We have to apologise with the fan. Alongside me today are The Athletic's James Moore and Tim Spears and we are together in The Athletic studio for the first time since March 2020. Now, there have been some awful FA Cup exits over the years, but I think last night at Bramall Lane, I saw maybe the worst one yet. A complacent and arrogant team selection was followed up by a total non-performance by the players that Tottenham did pick. James, was this the worst? Um, firstly, it's great to have you back as host, Jack. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's such a pleasure. It's taken me back to, to, to 2020 or 2020, 2021, when you and I ploughed through uh, Charlie Eccles' first Pat Leaf. Just yeah. the two of us. Good times. Um, yeah, it, it was probably. I would say, I mean, I've written a piece saying it's the worst. I hope that's not a spoiler for the piece I've written that people will hopefully read. Just a complete shambles. No redeeming qualities at all. Let's go back to the start. Before kickoff, Tim, team sheets come out. No Harry Kane, no Romero, no Kulisevsky, no Skip. Emerson was out with a, a minor precaution. I couldn't believe it when I saw the team, Jack, to be honest. Um I assumed wrongly that, well, you know, in my mind, last night's game was is much bigger than the one that's coming up on Saturday in the context of Tottenham season. And given what we've spoken about and I think agreed on that, you know, Spurs have been much better off for consistency in selection in recent weeks. And that's been uh, a, a really big part of their improved results. You know, they hadn't selected the same 11 in the Premier League since August. And now they've done it. They've done it three times in the in the past month, and I think it's really helped, particularly defensively, because that was such a shambles. So I was expecting a change or two. I think Saar for Skip was reasonable, given Skip's lack of um, consistent playing time over the last year. But otherwise, the front three. I mean, Christian Stellini said afterwards, you know, uh, we played with Lucas, Richarlison, and Son. That should be good enough. Yeah, it should it should be on paper. If this if this football manager, then it, it works and and they win. But you know, Richarlison hasn't scored for for God knows how many months now. Son just can't do anything from the start of a football match. And Lucas Moore has played four minutes since the start of November, and it was just so predictable how it, how it ended up that yeah, they looked like they hadn't played together for a long time, and they looked like they were all sort of playing for themselves. I think you said that, or saw someone say that on Twitter. You mentioned about Emerson Royale being uh, maybe a bit of a precaution, but. If he's if he's eighty ninety percent fit, he's got to play because him and Romero have been such a, str- a strong point for Spurs in the last few weeks, and and that strong point then becomes a weakness because it's Porro and Sanchez who defensively I have no faith in, and lo and behold, you know that's where the goal comes from. So it was just 
I know James will agree. I haven't spoken to him this morning. It was just so it was just so predictable having seen the the lineup, and that's why you know I see people having to go at Levy and Enoch for this, and 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 to, to the players as well. And of course, the players have to accept responsibility. But this is all on Conte for me because that team selection is ultimately what led to the result. Well, you say that, but actually, I think all of those things are linked. Like I I think there's a culture at the club, and this ties into what you're saying about Wolves on Saturday. There's a culture at the club. That, that these games aren't the most important games, that, that it's more important to come forth and be in the Champions League next season than to win a domestic cup. And that isn't just from Antonio Conte or, or Christian Stellini. I, I, I'd be very confident that Daniel Levy subscribes to that as well. And I think a lot of the players maybe think that or have been conditioned to think that over the last however many years as well. It's just been a consistent theme through... Probably since Redknapp, really, but certainly under Pochettino. I mean, he was explicit about that. He said that quite a few times. And Jack, you would have been in the room the times he was saying it that that you know domestic cups are a distraction and they only serve to boost the ego of the players. And that the real the real quiz was getting into the Champions League every season. Which, to be fair, he did deliver. But ultimately, I think you know you remember the teams that win trophies. That, that, that seems an obvious point. But you know we're 15 years deep now into this barren run, and. If Spurs are going to bin off a game like that, and effectively they have binned it off with that team, I think it sends a bad message. I think it it, it sets a standard that just isn't going to be good enough to win that kind of game. Um, you know, who knows how long it will be because it, it feels like they're a long way from having the right sort of mentality as a club for there being the right um, sort of sense of purpose around the club to, to win trophies or certainly to win trophies consistently, despite the ability of the players. I know it's a bit of a tired narrative how Harry Kane hasn't hasn't won a trophy during his time at, at Tottenham, but it is true. And I think Kane is clearly desperate to win something at Tottenham. And I actually felt quite sorry for him because he, you know, it would success in this competition. I think would probably mean more to him than to any other player. And he know he will know better than anyone how dependent Tottenham are on him. You know, there's only one other game this season that he hasn't started, and that was Preston in the fourth round. And clearly. Conte and Stellini decided that they could afford to not play Kane for this game. I just thought it was incredibly complacent to not play Kane and to not play Romero. And if it to me, it spoke of a, like a sort of lazy overconfidence in the ability of the players who were stepping in for them to go and fill their to, to fill their boots. Um, well, do you know, I was just going to say it also underestimates the team that they're playing. I mean, you know, you were there. Yeah. It, was, it sounded like a great atmosphere. Um, full house. I know they made changes too, but they're going for promotion. Um, a lot of those players have played football recently. You know, it was not the case for some of the Spurs players, but yeah, lo and behold, the guy who comes in for Kane, his hold-up play was awful and his shooting was completely wayward. Two things that you know you're going to get from Kane week after week. I would say on that Sheffield United team, and I know quite a lot of people have said Sheffield United, I think, made more changes than Spurs did on the night. But when I, I, and they have had a little bit of a wobble recently. I think they lost to Middlesbrough the other week in quite a big game. But generally, they've been winning incredibly consistently over the last few months. They've been in incredible form. Um, but when a team is winning more or less every week, like the changes you make, you've got so much momentum and there's such a clear sense of how you're trying to play that like making changes is less of a factor. And I think when you're kind of flitting between good performances and bad, like like the changes you make to the strongest eleven are, are going to have way more effect, and that's more or less borne out by what we saw on the pitch. It was a reminder of just how dependent the team is on both Kane and Romero, in the sense that, as you guys were saying, Kane is. I mean, he's Tottenham's best. He's Tottenham's best goal goal scorer this season by an absolute mile. He also 
create so many chances. It's also things like his ability to hold up the ball, which nobody else in that in that team could do, to buy free kicks from the opposition, get Spurs up the pitch, which of course they couldn't do at all yesterday. And I think he ha- Kane also has this kind of talismanic quality, which is that when he's on the pitch, the rest of the players believe that they're in the game because he can score a goal out of nothing, whereas nobody else can really do that. And I think the other player who has that kind of kind of radiates that sort of charisma on the pitch is Romero because Romero obviously plays this incredible intensity and will to win and that sort of intimidatory physical edge and if you take as well as the fact that he's a brilliant defender and as well as the fact that he's their best at building up from the back when he's got the ball and, yeah. and if you take those two out of the team there's kind of nothing left that, that does really speak for how sort of compartmentalised his team is because you know we're saying Spurs don't really score goals about Kane We've previously said they can't really create without Kulusevski and they can't really dictate the the kind of patterns of play without Bentinka in midfield. And now you're saying, and I'm not saying it's incorrect, but now you're saying they can't really defend without without uh, nothing again without uh, Christian Romero. Yeah, like you're kind of saying that they need these four players in the team to actually function as a team at all. You know, I, I think if you'd kind of if we discussed that two weeks ago, we'd say that was correct which does kind of play into the madness of leaving those players out by choice in a big game, right? I, I mean, I just completely agree with what you're saying. It's not just that they set the levels for others, it's that they improve those around them, and particularly Romero with his aggression. So the goal was bad enough, but the incident before half-time where the keeper kicks it long, Sanchez ducks out of a header, which is which is flicked on, and then Hoiberg sort of tries to give it to die but doesn't, and it was Koulibaly, I think, yeah. came in and should have scored. That is utterly shambolic. I mean, if if, if they'd have scored that, it, you know, everyone will be talking about that this morning. But I thought that was that was much worse than the goal. But if Romero's there, I mean, a he goes for that header, and b there's there's less of that confusion around him and 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 lack of aggression. Absolutely, and I think James's point it speaks to the fact that they, the fact that they haven't rotated this season has actually made them even. It's a kind of self fulfilling prophecy in the sense that it means it it makes them even more dependent on the 11 players that they do play yeah. and that means that when they do finally rotate like they did for this game the guys who they bring in are so undercooked mm. like i saw some people on twitter saying things like well the team should have been good enough to win the game but the fact, of the 11 players who started the game yesterday how many of those are actually in form and playing well at the moment maybe hoiberg mate davis is playing well and Dyer's been, Dyer, Dyer's been playing quite quite well at the moment, but you're relying on players who have got no rhythm at all. Like we know that Son has been playing really badly all season. Richarlison has scored what well, I think hasn't hasn't scored in domestic football this season. Only scored no, against Marseille. And Lucas, you know, Lucas hasn't played has barely played any domestic football this season. He's just played in those Champions League games, and so you can't just throw together 11, 11 guys, most of whom are undercooked out of form not playing well and expect them suddenly to you know to have the traits of a good well-organized team particularly in an environment like that like in a difficult away game where you have to impose yourself and you're up you know 28,000 fans yeah there. totally like it's a bit really of, you know, rainy bit of a bear pit away yeah, day exactly. it's just, like, this it, is what happens like, that's why I keep coming back to this idea that it was incredibly sort of complacent and arrogant to think that you can just chuck that team out on the pitch and that they will somehow their their experience you know the in, the individual qualities of the players, or the individual qualities in theory of the players, will be enough to get you over the line because it just doesn't, doesn't work like that. But they, they they showed so little ambition in the game, I, I, and it didn't really change after the substitutions either. But particularly in the first sort of seventy minutes, they were they looked incredibly happy, just kind of 
for the most part, keeping Sheffield United at arm's length, which they did, to be fair. I don't think, the goal aside, I don't think they defended badly. They didn't look like all at sea. It wasn't like a sort of textbook Spurs defensive shambles. You know, they looked relatively kind of balanced and content with what they were doing. But there was just so little risk taken with the ball at any point, like so so little kind of thrust, so, like they committed so few players forward um, that they really never really gave themselves an opportunity to score. And it felt like they were basically trying to manage their way to, to creating a sort of 20-minute match at the end where they would chuck Kane on, you know, Skip or as well, Kulisewski or whoever else, maybe Romero if the circumstances have been different. Um and kind of trying to squeeze the game down into a much smaller period, perhaps with a view to kind of saving the legs of those players. But you're like, taking an insane risk when you do that because you're creating a 20-minute match where if you concede first, you're completely knackered. And that's exactly what happened. Spurs conceded a pretty stupid goal quite early in that time period. And then suddenly they're chasing a game with like no sense of rhythm, no kind of clear patterns of play no clear path to goal and sure enough you know don't really create any good chances maybe by that one cane header and then they're out of the FA Cup I do disagree on the goal I think it was it was a bit arms by your side let's sort of watch this happen a little bit and I think if Romero and Royale are there it doesn't no, happen no I don't in, disagree in with opinion. that um, the, the, the Kane thing's weird because obviously he didn't play against Preston albeit Preston are a very different proposition and, and quite toothless in attack you know they barely scored all season so we should point that out that he didn't play in the last round and they won 3-0 but obviously last night was a different proposition. But I, I, what I don't understand, I know this is going back a bit, but why did he play at Forest away? Um, when he, he, wasn't, he wasn't fit enough to train that week and yet he chucked him into that game and he looked awful because he just wasn't fit. And last night they've sort of blamed it on what, a throat problem that he's had for a week? Yeah, so Stellini said in the press conference, I asked him about Kane afterwards and he said, uh, I asked him if he regretted not playing Kane and he said, well, we've got to look towards the medium term he can't play every single game. He's been playing through illness and fever recently. Um, I think he's not been able to train every single day. So I, I and I, I don't think Stellini's lying. Like I, I'm sure that is true that Kane has been playing through illness and maybe wasn't 100. percent I think my point is that if Kane has to miss a game, you know, Spurs' next three league games. I mean, one, I think they're winnable. Wolves away is probably going to be the hardest of the lot. They're Nottingham Forest at home, which they should win. It's Southampton away now. Southampton away, the fixture we yeah. all said wouldn't happen. Yeah. Which they should <laughs> well, they've win. they've got Grimsby. Spurs so, Sheffield United. On the one hand, those games are winnable. On the other hand, they're only league games. And Tottenham still have 13 league games left this season. Yeah. I think they, I, I think you, they could and should have... De, you know, effectively deprioritize those games and put more resources well, into this it. game. And that's the fundamental of this argument here. That that I, I don't know. I would say last night is is by far the, the bigger game. I don't know if you guys would agree. But yeah. The, but, the, but the management ob- obviously don't. It's it's a far. Last night was a far less important. But, but this is what I mean about the culture of the club. I don't think many people at the club would would disagree with that. I don't think like the players disagree with the manager or with the chairman or with whoever else that 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 the. the that the the cup game was bigger than the Premier League game. I think most of the players kind of go along with that way of thinking. But blindly or otherwise, I just don't think, you know, otherwise you'd see more of a sense of purpose in the game. No no player in that game played like that was a big game. My my theory on this, for what it's worth, is that players will always take their cues on the importance of a game from the coaches and the selection decisions. And if you're a Tottenham player and you see hold on, Harry's on the bench and Romero's on the bench and Kulisewski's on the bench and they've thrown in a few players here who are a bit undercooked or under-ready, that's going to make you think this is not as important a game. 
Um, yeah, picking Luke, picking Luke Smore is just like throwing him in, basically. But I do think all of that is exacerbated by like 10, 10 years of that being yeah. policy. I think I think it's worse if you're Dyer or Kane or Sanchez or whoever. Like you kind of you know you've, you've played for Tottenham for a long time and you know that this game is less important than Wolves on Saturday because it's the most important thing is being in a Champions League next season. It's very easy to talk about a lack of desire and Stellini didn't talk about a lack of desire afterwards. He talked about a lack of energy. Um, do you What do you think the relationship is between those things? Do you think it's just physical or do you think there's a sort of mental issue with the Tottenham players on the pitch? I think you can kind of, and maybe this is naive, but I feel like you can normally sort of tell when players are tired. And there have definitely been games this season where I've looked at that and thought, like like Hoiberg, for example, there have been moments where I thought he looked absolutely knackered and that would be understandable given, one, how he plays and two, how much football he's played, including the World Cup. Um, but I didn't I didn't watch that last night and think these players look tired or jaded. It just looked like there wasn't really sort of the ambition or the desire to, to kind of take the game to Sheffield United. And that does kind of, I don't know, maybe that speaks for the fact that this team don't really know how to play on the front foot. I mean, if you think how often, like you know, that they've had, broadly speaking, defensive managers for the last well, like four years now, and I know you know different players have come in, obviously, but it, this has been a team that generally has been put out to defend first and then try and play on a counter attack. And when you go away to a championship team who have made eight changes or whatever it is, and are obviously going to look to frustrate and obviously going to sit in and obviously not going to you know come herring out and 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 put themselves out there to be beaten. Like you're gonna have to, go, you're gonna have to go at them. You're gonna have to take the ball to them. You're gonna have to have spells of possession. You're gonna have to unpick the lock. And you know, we mentioned a bit earlier that Kulusevski may be the only player they have to do that. Obviously, he wasn't on the pitch for the first seventy minutes. Spurs just don't look comfortable when when they're they're in that kind of game. And you know, maybe we'll see this again on Saturday when Wolves, uh, I'm sure, won't come herring out and trying to have a load of possession unless Lopetegui has done a more drastic job than I'm anticipating. He has. He has. Okay, there you go. But I, I <laughs> think, we'll win then. Great. I think this comes back to what you were saying earlier, James, which is that to me, in this game it looked like Spurs were trying to follow their game plan from Chelsea and West Ham. Yeah. Which is keep it tight in the first half, turn up the tempo in the second half. But I think A, it's harder to do that if you don't have your best players. And B, it's harder to do that away from home. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's harder to do that when the opposition are absolutely delighted that's what you're doing. Yeah, but you're playing completely exactly. into the hands. And to me, this struck, this struck me as a game where the correct approach, easy for me to say, not a footballer, not a football coach, would have been to try and win the game in the first half. If you go one if you if you score two goals in the first 30 minutes, yeah. you kill the game. Yeah. You can start play the first half with Harry Kane and then take him off at half-time. And, and then Sheffield United are going to have to come out and play and then you can have... Son. Dan Juma or Son or, or, or even Lucas on the pitch and you know you're going to be a massive threat on the counter-attack it's going to be absolutely fine you're going to have a much better chance of scoring more goals yeah the, you mentioned about physically it was interesting that you said Sheffield United looked fitter um, I mean one person I'd mention in that, on that front is Perisic who just I don't, I don't know if it's perception just because he's having a, a poor couple of months but I was saying to James earlier he looks like he's aged five years since Christmas I mean he's just barely <laughs> he's just he's not the quickest anyway but <clears throat> now that he's not contributing as much uh, with his assists from, from set pieces well he wasn't even taking them last night was he he was son um, and his delivery's just gone downhill I know he had that good cross for Kane in stoppage time but other than that his crosses were really poor sometimes from really promising positions like that he's was just own, gone that downhill that was his only like yeah, 
proper genuine contribution to the game I thought yeah. in a positive sense that yeah, crossed the game yeah. it's a really good ball but you can't like in a game like that wait 88 minutes to no, play one and, and, and I was thinking box. it's because Sessegnon's out and he's not being able to rotate but then he hasn't started yeah, he's not the last two the last games so. yeah exactly he is now like second choice to a player who doesn't even play or we didn't think he even played in the position that he's meant to be playing in one of the things that frustrated me was how there was no link up whatsoever between Lucas, Son and Richarlison. They were all, all of them were just trying to, it looked like each of the three of them was trying to play his own way back into form by scoring yeah, a wonder goal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I know that's often how Lucas plays. Richarlison, I just think, doesn't have any rhythm at the moment. The ball was bouncing off him a lot. Mm-hmm. And Son, I thought, I mean, Son was kind of playing like Lucas. You know, he's getting the ball in the middle, running down forward, a lot of cul-de-sacs. You know, run, you know, he'd go past two people, then run into the third defender. Yeah, yeah. I was I was surprised I was I was surprised when Richarlison was the one that's taken off. I know it wasn't going for him, but at least he was getting in shooting positions and he had yeah. a bit of aggression, positivity about him. I would much rather have seen him on the left and and Kane come off a son. Well, also, I mean, look, maybe this is being wise after the event, but once you get into a situation when you're one 0 down and needing to chuck balls into the box, you'd rather have Richarlison yeah, yeah. there, right? Like like a, a post, big yeah. guy who can head a ball. Do you think there was a single positive sign or anything to be happy about with last night's performance? I liked uh, something. I'd like um, Poro's attitude. That was good. Uh, when he, he when he, he missed and he started geeing up the fans. Oh, and yeah, he's, yeah. he's got. Uh, yeah. He's got some. I know. I know. This is like it's it's the biggest, bar, but just something it? I noticed. Like I noticed in the game against West Ham on Sunday, he was uh, when he was on the bench. He was in front of us in the press box and he was really getting into the game. It's just something I've noticed about his sort of character I think he's got a bit of a cult hero in him and, and definitely a lot of aggression and geeing up the fans or whatever anyway that was it I mean that is pretty timing <laughs> isn't it that's it James yeah. any positives for you um, well it sounds like you had a good train journey back down that'd probably be the main thing I would take from it uh, yeah yeah. the the trains were very smooth both ways but I uh, on the pitch I can't really I always try, I, I, I try yeah. and be positive I mean, if I can but I can't think of anything to be positive well, the, about the, the positive that comes out of it is that Spurs' chances of finishing the top four are, are, now, are now much oh, greater that, that's it isn't it that's, that, that, that's I'm I, sick of the Champions that's League a, that's, a, that's, a, that's almost a Charlie Aquashare argument I'm no, no, sick no, of no, it I, I, I don't agree with that I, I would if, you know from uh, if, if I was a Spurs fan I'd rather they finish eighth and, and win the FA Cup yeah yeah I'm, but, I, I'm, I genuinely mean this I'm sick of the Champions League I don't care I, I don't care I mean, it's very, you know, what, what a position to be in to be kind of blasé about it. But I just don't, it doesn't move me in the same way that even getting to the FA Cup final, forget winning it, even getting to the final would. Let's stop for a second because we're going to come back after the break and talk about that, this specific issue of the trophy drought, which now looks like it's going to extend a bit longer unless something miraculous happens in the Champions League <laughs> or the Premier League. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Now, James, I know you. this is a particular bugbear of yours and of many Tottenham fans, is that I'm sure for you growing up, you know, Tottenham were synonymous with the FA Cup, right? Like back, I mean, maybe that's dating back to the 1991 victory, which was obviously the start of the sort of football-watching time for lots of people our age and a bit older. Um, their record in the FA Cup is appalling. They haven't been to a final since 1991. Yeah, you're telling me, yeah. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't remember that, by the way. That's not within my frame of reference, sadly. Um a lot of 
semi-final defeats are. I think I'm right in saying, in fact, I know I'm right in saying because I've done the research, Spurs are on the longest run of semi-final defeats in the history of the FA Cup, which I think is now eight. And go through in Livymont. We've already done that. Do you remember we did that in Lisbon? You talked me through every single one. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds like a fun hour for you, Tim. Yeah. Um, was this was this was last night as painful as those? As bad as Man United I, I 2018? Do, I do think. I mean, obviously, there's like recency bias, uh, which could be quite a big factor. But to, to me, and you know, I'm very annoyed about that Manchester United when I've talked to you about it before. But um, I think it might be the worst one. It just feels like the FA Cup was incredibly open. It's not often at this stage of a competition, you know, going into the quarterfinals, that three of the top six are out. Newcastle, the team we suspect are kind of the coming force of English football, are out. You know, other good teams, you know, teams that have taken points off Spurs this season, like Aston Villa and Brentford, are out. There's a, a lot of potential banana skins kind of falling well, in by the, the wayside. The, the epitome of rubbing salt into the wound was the fact that 10 minutes after full time, <laughs> the draw, you didn't even get 24 hours grace until the draw was made, but literally rubbing salt. I mean, I was expecting Grimsby at home, but I, I you know, I, I fully accept that Blackburn at home. Blackburn Rovers at home. I, I, because, because modern football is so completely and utterly broken, Blackburn will probably play their reserves in that game because they've got one eye on Sheffield United in the promotion battle in the championship. I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised. Can you imagine Blackburn Rovers at home in an FA Cup quarter final? I mean, it's like, just a like gift. a complete a gift. gift. It's a complete gift. Like, I mean, if, just look at you know, Portsmouth at home, Preston away, Sheffield United away, Blackburn at home to get to the semi finals of the FA Cup. Yeah. It is like criminal to spend that opportunity. It is a complete gift. What do you think? How much do you think Tottenham fans are. Feel a sense of missing out because even though they've you know they had lots of ups and downs over the last twenty years, while the team you know if you take a step back and look at the league form, Tottenham have got progressively better over the course of the last twenty years. Like you know they've what seven top four finishes in the last fourteen years, yeah. and you know there was a time when Tottenham just wouldn't have finished anywhere near the top four. But if you look at FA Cup finals, and obviously you know getting to an FA Cup final is great. Whether you, almost is it. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, it actually is. But um, if you look at some of the teams who've um, who've got to FA Cup finals in the la- in, just in the last twenty years, why are you doing this to me? Watford twenty nineteen, Crystal Palace twenty sixteen, Aston Villa twenty fifteen, Hull City twenty fourteen, Wigan Athletic twenty thirteen, Stoke City twenty eleven, Portsmouth twenty ten, Portsmouth and Cardiff City two thousand eight, West Ham United two thousand six, Millwall two thousand four, Southampton two thousand three. That's a, what. It's, that is kind of embarrassing for Tottenham, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want me to pick out the worst ones? The Portsmouth one in yeah, 2010. Which of those when hurts you the most? Portsmouth in 2010 when Spurs lost to Portsmouth. Portsmouth had been relegated from the Premier League literally the day before. They had an absolute stink, an absolute stink of the season. They had been dock points for um, going into administration. Avram Grant as a manager. They sold their best players. They were a complete shambles. They had a dreadful season. Beat Spurs 2-0 at Wembley in the FA Cup semi-final incredibly annoying that 2016 one where Palace got to the final that that's the one actually now that in hindsight I find incredibly annoying because uh, Spurs beat Palace at White Hat Lane in the fifth round this has brought to my attention yesterday Martin Kelly scored the only goal he scored in the last I think 12 years in that game um, in the next round, Palace played Reading in the quarterfinals, who were in a championship at that point. In the semi-final, they played Watford, who were down to, uh, doing all right in the Premier League, but in the bottom half at that point. And in the final, played Manchester United, who 
you'll remember Jack because it's a game we go on about all the time Spurs absolutely smashed 3-0 in the Premier League a few weeks before that cup final yeah. that's quite annoying isn't and it they picked, and they picked Michel Vorm over Hugo Lloris and of course it's 2018 the 2018 semi-final which I think is one of the great uh, I, I'm quite reluctant to use the word like bottle and choke when it comes to Tottenham but I think the 2018 semi-final was a bottle well, I know, just I know they were much that, better than Man United that's what you wrote at the time wasn't it yeah they were the better team they, they picked Vorm over Lloris in goal and they got got done two one in the second half. I had Alderweireld and Wanyama on the bench as well. Yeah, I, uh, it's annoying. Yeah, so this is my, this is kind of my point. Like, uh, we can talk about Daniel Levy and we can talk about Antonio Conte and we can talk about the players and we should. But like, if you want to venerate uh, Mauricio Pochettino, you should also accept that his policy towards domestic cups was the same. Yeah, it completely aligned with with, with with Daniel Levy. It was he was kind of the perfect manager for Levy to have in that sense because while Mourinho was clearly trophy focused, Pochettino really bought into the Levy view, which is that top four is more important important than trophies. I might have done a full one eighty on like on, on, on who I am on Spurs Twitter now. I might be one of the I might be one of those other people. Yeah, one of the I don't uh, want Posh back. longest trophy drought in Actually, seventy I want years. Mourinho back. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys think it. Tim? Do you think there's a kind of generational issue with the FA Cup because are we I mean we're all quite old in this podcast now I'm probably the I'm the youngest person here and I'm 34 do you think that younger fans than us don't really care about the FA Cup or do you, do you think it is just for older something that older fans care about in football or that's or hard, it's, that's hard it's hard to judge exactly whether well you, you, you'd imagine so because you know clubs take it far less seriously and TV companies take it far less seriously than other competitions and there's there's no money in it um so yeah, perhaps, but it, it fans in general, it, it's a competition for for the fans. I think yeah. you know you get nine thousand Portsmouth fans at the Spurs Stadium a few weeks ago, you get three thousand uh, Blackburn fans at Leicester last night. It's probably their biggest away following the season. Like it's it's a competition for the fans and 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 the players, but not for managers and not for owners. Um, yeah, I agree. That's that's what's happened. You know, there's a real disconnect between the two there. Um, you know, it's changed beyond recognition in in our in our lifetime. Um, it's a kind of day out competition, isn't it? Yeah. That's really what, like, as a fan, it's about getting yeah, different, and, different yeah. days out, different trips. And managers bigger, only take it seriously. Away allocations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. And managers only take it seriously from what the quarterfinal stage onwards, really, in sort of t- in, pre- in Premier League terms. Um, I mean, I've got J- James won't want this from me, but I've got a huge sympathy for for Spurs fans in terms of this trophy drought. Like, it is, it is. I, I, you know, I'd love, I'd love to have been. Outside of the away end last night and hearing what people saying on the way out. Um, I mean, the atmosphere sounded great from that away end. I, you know, they were singing their hearts out. really loud. As that really goal went in, all 5,000 of them were singing and the commentators were talking, talking about what great noise they were creating. Um, because Twitter's such a terrible barometer for this, but I, I, I'd imagine there's an awful lot of anger from, from those hardcore fans. I saw some people on Twitter saying that they didn't care. As in, I saw, I mean, maybe this is just following the wrong people on Twitter. Maybe I shouldn't care what I see on, I read on Twitter. But I saw some some Spurs fans saying, oh, why, why do we care about the Cups anyway? I don't, well, why, I, think that's, I don't understand what you're really aiming to get from supporting a football club if you think that. Yeah. Like, the whole point is that you should be trying to win trophies. And if Spurs had won the Premier League five times in the last eight years... Then yeah, I probably would care quite a lot less about this. That'll but, be that'll be fans that, that, don't, that, that, that don't go to games. I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure that is the case. There's a big yeah, difference. It is, there. I can't. Yeah, having supported the club, you know, and I, I, this isn't like I don't want to make this a pissing contest, but like if you supported the club for 30 years and they haven't won the FA Cup and they've won two League Cups, like you want to see the team win trophies. Yeah. That it, you know, I think it would be overegging. It's like to say that's the sole purpose of supporting a football club because for 
90, 95% of fans, or, or for fans of 90, 95% of clubs, you, you're never going to get that. Mm. Or it's a complete freak when you do, but like you, you couldn't have the expectation that you would. But uh, surely for a club like Tottenham, and for the reasons you set out there, you know, they've been in the Champions League, they've been in the top four for however many seasons, you know, they've been right at the top. No one's saying, n n there are no memes about Everton not winning a trophy for uh, 28 years or Aston Villa for. 27 years this is good maths what, Newcastle um, or Newcastle for six to he 60 however many years it is and no one cares about any of that because those teams haven't been anywhere near yeah. Spurs have been dining at the top table for like a decade now and they haven't won a trophy and that's why it stands out do you think that it uh, something I was thinking earlier this might be nonsense is that the, the kind of what you might call the the not really caring about trophy approach which I think, fair to say, has been the sort of dominant sort of house view at Tottenham over the last 10, 15 years. We saw that with prioritising fourth place and prioritising the Champions League and sacking Mourinho just before the League Cup final in 2021 because they wanted to try and get fourth. Do you, I, I wonder whether maybe that was the right view, the right strategy for Tottenham at the time because there was, you know, they had to... If you look at, say... Well, from the first time they got in the Champions League in 2010, it was really important to get Tottenham into the Champions League to show that they could be part of the furniture in the Champions League, to build the stadium, which was important, build the brand, and kind of set Tottenham up in the, you know, in the big six, not that people called it that at the time, of English football. But that now that Spurs have, been, have gone through that process, you know, they've built the stadium, they have... Um, They've appointed various high-profile managers. The brand is clearly much bigger than it was 10 years ago by miles. That now it's actually time for a bit of a pivot. And that I, th I feel, I mean, James, you'll know more about this than me, but it feels to me like the, uh, the argument for we should just keep trying to get forth, we should try and be in the Champions League to establish ourselves, doesn't really carry so much water as it might have done five or 10 years ago. I mean, I would suggest that pivot was that pivot not supposed to come when they appointed uh, win now manager in Jose yeah, Mourinho? Yeah, probably. probably. And, to, and to his credit, his attitude to the domestic cups was probably the antithesis of Pochettino and what it feels like Conte is thinking, because he was desperate to win those. You know, he was desperate to win that League Cup. He was desperate to win the FA Cup, and obviously didn't work out. Um, probably unfortunately for him, the team, or maybe partly down to him, the team wasn't good enough to do that. Yeah, although the the weird thing is, I think they've kind of... I do think that the general approach at Tottenham in the last four years has been the kind of win-now manager rather than the rebuild manager. But the problem is that these various win-now managers haven't actually got them any, any closer to winning a trophy. 2021 League Cup final put aside. But there's no point in having a win-now manager if that manager doesn't want to win now, is there? Well, that's, that's the kind thing. Of, that's the conclusion we've kind of come to now, isn't it, with Conte? If he's not going to put his strongest team out in the FA Cup fifth round to try and win that now because he wants to try and get into the Champions League next season when he, we think, probably won't be even be the manager of the club? I mean, I don't... What's the point? <laughs> if, if, what's, what's the point in him if, as a win-now manager, well, that's he's not even trying to win now? Well, sort of strategic disalignment of the Conte appointment, really, isn't it? Is that they've appointed a manager who... They've appointed a manager whose speciality is winning leagues, and yet he doesn't have the resources to win the league for Tottenham. 
If they wanted a manager who was better at winning cups, they should have. They should not have appointed Conte and gone for someone who's got a better record in the cups. They should have gone for Carlo Ancelotti, for example. Yeah. If they if they wanted someone who was just going to give them the best possible chance of winning an FA Cup or a Euro, or a Europa League or whatever, there's other managers apart from Conte to do that. And so well, read that list again. They could have got you know Roberto Martinez or whoever else. I mean, Roberto I'm not, I'm not, FA Cup winner Roberto Martinez. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Good so, Exactly. So, I mean, I'm not saying they should have appointed these guys, but it's. It's another way in which Conte doesn't quite doesn't necessarily fit with what they're trying to do. No, he doesn't, and his and his career history suggests as much. You know, it's league titles and it's the odd it's the odd cup here and there. But his, yeah, his Champions League record, as we know, is is very very poor, uh, and so is his cup record basically. And I was really hoping. I was thinking about this on the train yesterday. I was really hoping that maybe this season at Spurs could be like Chelsea twenty eighteen. As in, it was obviously the end of Conte's time at Chelsea, the 2017-18 season. They weren't really in the mix of the Premier League because Man City were so were so far ahead of everyone else. But they kind of everything came together for them to win the FA Cup and Conte could go out on a high. And my hope yesterday, yesterday afternoon was, oh, maybe, and I'm sure lots of other Spurs fans will have felt similarly, was that maybe this could be like that and maybe they could go out with a... Um, with an FA Cup win and then suddenly everybody could kind of shake hands and save face at the end of the season. It would be a really great achievement for the club. But um So does the whole season rest on that Milan game now? If 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 James if James reflects the opinion of quite a lot of fans, which I suspect he does, that fourth is okay, neither here nor there really. Okay, it'd be nice, but it's it's not gonna be a great achievement. I guess Milan is Milan's D Day. But then to what ends though, right? And I mean do you, I mean do you think Spurs have a realistic chance of winning the Champions League? No, but they have a chance. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we've we said before, in better moments, and we probably would have said it on Monday after Chelsea, that there aren't too many teams in that competition they should be absolutely terrified of. Obviously, Real Madrid would be the one, particularly given the experience they've got. Um, you know, they beat Man City last month. They've beaten all the other top teams in England yeah, the last couple of years. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's, not, it's not all or nothing. It's not winning it or not being in it. Like, you know, if they get, if they get through and then they get Dortmund or Chelsea in the next round, for example... You know, they've got they have a really good chance Inter to get through the semi-finals. Now I wanted to go into a bit more detail about this at the top of the show, but I was too uh too upset by what I saw last night. But uh it feels a bit more tonally appropriate now. It is really nice to be back in the studio. Well, this is the first time you and I have been allowed in the the Athletics I've never podcast been in this room studio. before. We're in you a very fancy that. room. The number of podcasts we've recorded for this company and we're only now finally being allowed to uh Tim, sit have you, in these. Have you been, I'm not used have you been in? Which one's a chair? Which chair does James Richardson sit in? Uh, he's in, Jack, he's in oh, Jack's wow. chair, not where. Who normally sits? Jim, well, Jimmy, as we call him. Jimmy. I reckon that might not be true. He usually sits here on totally. No, he's in Jack's chair. Yeah, but who, who normally sits in the oh, chair? Who? Uh, well, there's a ro- there's a rotating um, rotor of, um, of of top guests. Are you ever allowed um, to sit next to him? Uh, just opposite. Normally, it was just me and him in the studio last time, which is nice. Oh, really? yeah, yeah, we went intimate. for a few drinks after. Intimate. It was cool. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> in other happier news um, Tottenham have just announced a 15 year partnership with Formula 1 mm-hmm. um, so I'm sure you've seen this uh, it came out at the start of the week as part of the deal the world's first in-stadium electric karting facility and London's longest indoor track will open in autumn 2023. Um, Spurs say this partnership aims to create apprenticeships and career opportunities for local young people and bring greater diversity to the motorsport industry, which is obviously a really important and and valuable thing to do. Um, Guys, what do you think about this? This has kind of come out of nowhere, but it it really fits with the whole, you know, turning Tottenham Hotspur Stadium into an entertainment venue. Uh, I mean... 
Yeah. This actually, this is one of those things where, where when it gets announced and certain people are getting annoyed by it, I kind of think, oh, come on, imagine getting annoyed by that. But then you go out the FA Cup to Sheffield United, and then suddenly, actually, it is the most annoying thing I've ever heard. James, you you sound like one of those fans who. Um... I saw some fans outside the ground the other week who had a banner on with all the listing all their complaints about Enoch, and one of them it literally just said Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, it was like it was saying Enoch DNA, and it was listing all the things like not backing the managers and no trophies. And one of them said Lady Gaga, and I thought, why would you care that Lady Gaga is playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? What? It's not like she's playing at right back. Like, what's the issue? You know what? Did there was I did see a big fuss because I think there's a Beyonce gig the day after the uh, FA Cup final. And there was a suggestion that this would mean if Spurs won the FA Cup, they couldn't, do like, uh, they couldn't have the parade and they, yeah, they couldn't do the beanbag or whatever else. But it doesn't matter now, so it's fine. Yeah. Also, these things, like, these concerts make so much money for Tottenham. Like, they, you know, I, I believe that Beyonce concerts are going to make them an eight-figure sum. So, you know, this is money that could go on... On players who don't want to win the FA Cup. Yeah, on, on a good player who sits on the bench for an FA Cup fifth-round game. Um... Tim, you a go karting guy? Have you've never been, you been go karting. I've never done it, you know. I think I think I'd, I think I'd quite enjoy it. I like driving fast, but within the speed limit. I think the should all the view from the lane gang go and do a go karting competition together at the uh, at the go karting track. Do you really? I don't know. I, I <laughs> well, I've actually uh, I've failed my driving test twice in the last few oh, weeks. Oh, we should definitely do it then. Yeah. So I think I would. And James, you're, you don't I drive. Do, I don't so drive. So it would have so. to be Danny, Tim, and Charlie battling it out. Uh, I don't know who I think would be the best. Um, I can see Charlie, Charlie being quite would, a selfish yeah, driver. Be, Charlie has a very F1 vibe, actually. Yeah, I can Damon see. Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does, though, right? He just has that kind of sheen about him. That's, is that a pun? Is there a, is there a sheen? Is that, or is that. He's a motorbike guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's motorbikes, yeah. yeah. But it still works as a joke, doesn't it? Sort of, motorsport. It's quite so niche. Leave this in. Um, Tim, it does show what we've always known for a while, which is that Tottenham Hotspur Stadium makes a lot of money. And it's re it's a big kind of, the brand value of having that space is massive. Yeah, no, it, exactly. I think for, from a from a commercial and a business point of view, I think Spurs do it better than the vast majority of, of, of big clubs around and like Put you know that in your trophy cabinet. No no but no but this is what I, I didn't want you to interrupt there because this this is this is the point that this is a completely separate separate thing and I understand why fans get annoyed about it. However, ultimately it makes a lot of money and you know their their accounts were very, very healthy recently. They're only going to get better. You know, they'll be they'll be on for record revenues this year. And that's to be applauded, but where, where the... <laughs> I'm not going to the parade for record revenues. But I don't see why... Open top, I, Daniel I, Levy I, with the with the accounts no, on I, the I, open top bus I completely going understand. down Tottenham High Road. I completely understand why fans get annoyed about it, but it's not like Conte's, you know... Sorting out who plays the gigs at the stadium next summer. There's there's a lot of he might are, as well do. <laughs> but there are a lot there are a lot of of people who get paid a lot of money to do this, and it's completely separate from the football side. However, when it's the Tottenham Hotspur official Twitter account tweeting this out, people can't really see that distinction between uh, a karting track or whatever it is, and the fact they haven't signed a centre half. Yada yada yada. But where where it does link in is how that money is spent on the team, and that's that's where you can James can rightly get annoyed. Because ultimately it comes down to that first team recruitment, joined up thinking between the head coach and the 
director of football and whatever. And that's that's what's been lacking for Spurs for so long. And it doesn't have to be a big five-year project. You know, Ten Hag's proved that this season. Just some just some sensible additions and some good management. And look what yeah, you can do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That you, I think Ten Hag does show that you can. Things can turn around quite a lot quicker. Yeah, I mean they've been a shambles for years, and look what he's done in in ten months. Exactly. Um, it's, it's even tried to win a cup, and succeeded. And succeeded. Yeah, it succeeded. Um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have seen this, but in the in the press release which accompanied this announcement, it uh, says at the top, with music, concerts, boxing, and rugby now also being staged in London N17, it means an estimated 5.9 billion people globally are interested in events held at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, equating to nearly 80 percent of the world's population. James, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is amazing, yes. Probably not in the way that they anticipated. Saturday, 3pm, it's El Spirzico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolverhampton once against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Tim, how are you feeling? Yeah, Conf- good. Confident? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking it might be weird, but I, I, I don't think it'd be weird at all. You know, it'd be fine. What your, how worried should Spurs fans be about Wolves' resurgence under Lopetegui? Uh, yeah, I mean they've improved a lot under under a, a very good manager. That's what happens when. Um, so yeah, no, the, I, I went to see him at Fulham a couple of weeks ago, and like they did play some really really good football. To be honest, lots of interchanging, good movement, slick passing. Um, they just don't they don't have a goal scorer basically. So um, no striker has scored in the Premier League for Wolves for almost twelve months. So the date is coming up. Um, so who plays up front for them? Uh, Jimenez or Cunha or Diego Costa gets a five-minute trundle sometimes at the end of the oh, game. He'll score. <laughs> he'll definitely score. <laughs> yes, he hasn't scored for oh, us yet. But Costa against um, Romero. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, you might get five minutes of that. That would be fun. So I know that you know that they've um, they've got qualities that Spurs lack. They've got a couple of players that are probably get in the Spurs team to be honest. But um, well, I think Neves is getting that midfield. They've got a, they've got a dynamic midfield these days. So Mario Lamina's come in has been like a really so good. Lamina actually been good. Yeah, he's been. He's been a good player. Yeah, he's a good he was player. bad at Southampton, though. Right? He was. He was a massive knobhead, basically, by his own admission to the Athletic in an interview. <laughs> was that the exact um, terminology? Well, he said like, "Oh, I, I was an individual, not playing for the team," and now he's like, he's he's okay. flipped that round, and yeah. So, so him and Neves and Nunes is like, you know, got far more strings to Wolves' bow than sort of Tottenham's midfield. Um, but if you stop that midfield playing, then there's not been a huge amount going forward. I mean, they don't score. Um, you know, if if I if 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 I was approaching it from a Spurs point of view, I would stink the place out, go as deep and defensive as possible, um, restrict the space from Wolves' final third, and try and get them on the counter because Wolves can't break teams down. So. Um, but if Spurs open up a bit, then they could be quite vulnerable. Sounds like a uh, a perfect occasion for the back eight. Yeah, no, th- th- that's the that's the team I'd play. I think you know. Um, so you'd have Emerson come back in if he's fit. Romero obviously has to come back in. Skip has to come back in. Kulisevsky has to come back. Kane I don't see. Uh, yeah, I think you go back to that West Ham team. I, I'm not sure. You wouldn't change it, would you? No. I mean, that feels of of the players available. The kind of best eleven, I think, feels. Yeah, it's hard to think of any obvious. It's hard to think of any changes you make to the West Ham and Chelsea team. Some people might not have. Some people might bring some back in. I guess for Charleston. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I would say uh, you know a weakness for Wolves can be uh, Nelson Semedo at right back, who's you know can get caught positionally, and if Son can get inside him, I mean they're both pretty quick, but that would that would be somewhere I'd see Son could take advantage of. Well, normal Son. But it sounds like you kind of expect Wolves to dominate the ball, and then that, that's what they have been doing. They have they have become, you know, unrecognisable really from the Nuno and Bruno Lars teams that people would have seen 
Um, they're much more possession based, front foot, play nice football. You know, stuff that stuff that James would love to see. Um, Spurs do, and I've got to say, it's happened in a relatively quickly short space of time. You know, they made six or seven really good January editions, most of whom play, and they've revolutionised their sort of style of play, and they look good for it. It's not that hard, really. Who who is the agent of most of those editions? Uh, no, they have. Do you know they've actually, January? They've actually sort of stopped doing that a bit. There's far fewer Mendes players, believe it or not, which is a good thing. They've you know been calling for that for years, really, and um, <laughs> don't look at those eyebrows. Um, so yeah, it'd be, uh, it's got the potential to be an absolutely awful game, but I think I think it'd be quite it'd be pretty competitive. Prediction: You should predict the score. One all, obviously. Okay. One all. Yeah, one all. Would you take a one all, James? No, it's no point. They've just like thrown away their season to try and win this bloody game. I'd be annoyed if they don't win now. They have to win. It's a must-win game. Do you think that they? Is there any argument for rotating players for this game to focus on Milan? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably, yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, I, I guarantee they'll play the full strength team against Wolves and then see where they are midweek for Villa. Same uh, Villa, Milan, Milan, Villa. Yeah, I think they probably have to play the same. They have to go equally full strength for Wolves and Milan, don't they? Yeah. And then see where they are for Saints at the end of next week. No, it's, sorry, Forest at the end. Forest, Forest at yeah, home yeah, at the Forest end of next week. Con is Conte back then on Saturday? Was there any update last night? So I think the expectation is Conte will return this weekend. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he... I don't expect him to be fully involved at Molyneux. I don't even know if he'll be at Molyneux. I think the, I think the kind of... The game plan is he's focusing on Milan. I think, But I think he will come back. I think he will be in the country at the end of this week. I just don't know if he'll actually be at the game. Do you reckon he was a game last night? Well, do you reckon it would have been on Italian TV? I was going to say, logistically, how would you do that? Would it be on Italian TV? You'd probably TV? just watch Arsenal on stream like everyone else. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I did want to end on some good news. I failed to do it last time around. We're going to come back for a second go and say, now, here is some genuinely good news. On Monday, Monday's edition of View From Lane will not only be in person again, but will include Danny Kelly who is uh, coming over from Ireland to London for the podcast and who some of us have actually never met. I've never met Danny. No, none of us have ever met no, before, I don't you, think. You no. never met him? No. It's going to be, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird because I feel like he's like my uncle and yet I've never actually been in the same room as him. Um, so I am, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, yeah, getting back in the studio with Danny on Monday to do the next pod where we will look back on the Wolves game, look forward to the Milan game. We're all really looking forward to it. Um, if you are not already an Athletic subscriber, sign up now to read all of the amazing Spurs coverage as well as everything else on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for £1.99 per month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. The Athletic.